0: If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the bet rivers network, whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to game bet match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa podcast on the bet rivers network. Good morning, everybody. And welcome to the Mike Francesa podcast. And I hope you're having a very, very nice, uh, 4th of July weekend as it begins. And I hope you have a very healthy and happy 4th uh, of July uh, when the holiday hits on uh, Sunday and Monday. Um, obviously uh, the NBA has done a very good job of keeping their sport front and center a la the NFL with this uh, July 1st uh Deadline and obviously this whole free agency and uh, signing of contracts and moving of players and everything that's gone on. So it keeps the sport at a time when it is baseball season at a time when we are starting to think about the opening of NFL training camps. Uh, it keeps the N- NBA uh, in the conversation. And obviously this week, everywhere the conversation has been about the NBA, uh, as far as what's going on in our city, hey, there's nothing to add about what is going on with the Nets. It does not look like there is any way to salvage the situation. So now you just sit back and wait to see what transpires and how these players are moved and what is the best that the Nets can reap from a very, very bad situation. Clearly. It is a very dangerous thing to really sell your soul to a star player or a couple of star players and really hand the keys to the franchise over to them. That is, in essence, what happened here. And these guys have shown one thing, well, really two things. One, they are going to take the money with both hands, and two, they are going to be very quick to bail They always feel, hey, you know what? If it isn't right or we've messed it up, we just move on. We move on to another franchise. We tell them it's time to go. And that's really what's going on here. Hey, you know what? Time to go. All right, you know, hard didn't work out. Time to go. Irving didn't work out. Time to go. Durant, you know what? Ah, This isn't what I wanted. Time to go. And this bailing on franchises and then going to the next one. Uh, and the moving of all these uh, draft picks is something that is not a positive for, for the NBA. It does create a lot of news, but I don't think it's very solid for the franchises in the long run, and it'll be quite interesting to see how the Nets are able to come out of the situation in a competitive fashion. Let's just wait and see. I think now we know, A, it's going to happen. The question now is, how they deal, and you've seen all these two and three and even four team deals to get this done. Let's see how it works out, but uh, all I would say is when you sell your soul, when you give complete control over to a player, you are asking for trouble. Uh, free The way teams should be built is to go out and in the framework of a design, get the best players you can. Not have these relationships dictate exactly what you're going to do by bringing in one guy and then letting relationships build your franchise. That is a very delicate situation that won't work very often. And clearly, the one thing these players know is they can always bail and go to an, they can blow it up, bail, and go somewhere else. And that is what is happening here. And it's it's ugly. It is ugly in every single way you look at it is ugly. As for the Knicks, I've seen everything from lukewarm to very positive reaction to the Brunson signing. Uh, I am... On the side of it being a very big positive for the Knicks, this is a player I like a lot. It's a player I've always liked a lot. You know how I have had a relationship with Villanova. You know that I have been very much a uh, supporter of the Villanova program. And obviously, we have watched it win in enormous ways in the last seven, eight years. It has been a top 10 program every year. It has won two national championships. It's been the three final fours. It has done a remarkable job. And Brunson was in the middle of that. He was a go-to guy. He was a winning player. He was a leader. He was a player of the year. And all he needed was an opportunity, somebody to believe in him in the NBA. And he has taken the road that a lot of guys do to where they become viable and very important players. And that's what he is now. Is he going to be a guy that you can build an entire championship around? No, but he is a piece, and he is a very positive piece and a leader at a position the Knicks have needed for years. I think this is a very, very strong move. I'm happy to see him get the contract he deserves, and I think Nick fans will be very happy that he's here and we will see the positive impact he has on this franchise going forward. I think it is in every way a very big and very positive move for the Knicks. So uh, clearly they're not complete. Clearly you would like to see uh, some pieces jettisoned from this team. There's no question about it. Knicks have a lot of work to do, but they made a very positive step forward with, this, uh, with bringing Brunson in here. I think it is a very positive day for the Knicks in a big way. Before I get to the baseball, I want to touch on college sports for a minute. We have all watched since the court decisions came down. And really even before that with the movement that we saw into these super conferences, all dictated by football. Remember, basketball follows, but football leads. And now you have seen with last year, Oklahoma and Texas, and now with USC and UCLA, the final steps. You now have two conferences that are so dominant in their representation, so dominant in what they bring in terms of reach, audience, university power, prestige, that they will have revenues that will be three and four times larger than any other league or conference. The... Big Ten. Backed by the success of the Big Ten Network, which now will stretch from coast to coast. With the adding of two of the most prominent schools in the entire nation. It is uh, a very, very, important day and a day that will change the look of college sports. College sports as we know it is over. Where it is headed is not, in my mind, going to be a positive. What's going on with the players is a disaster. I understand the players have been given freedoms. I understand they deserve that. But it was a system that had to rely on players being controlled. I didn't say they couldn't share. I favored a system that allowed them to be paid in a fashion where the money was not realized at this point so that it did not influence movement, but rather was there for them in their future, a la pension, a la credits for schooling, credits for schooling for their children, uh, all different ways. That was not what happened. You now have, in essence, the open buying of players with no recourse. Let's be honest, that's what you have. And you have now such a hierarchy of leagues that there is no way to equal the playing field. The idea that you have anything that resembles... A amateur or college atmosphere is farcical. There's nothing there. These are now high leveraged, very, very financially influenced organizations and leagues and universities. There's nothing positive there in the long run. To the Yankees and the Mets, Um, really all that that matters right now. I mean, listen, did we learn something about Houston? Yeah, you know what we learned about Houston? They're going to be a major factor going forward. They are going to be in this this magical Yankee season. They have a team out there that's every bit their equal. That's not a bad thing. It's actually, I think, a good thing in terms of keeping them motivated and keeping them on edge. That they know that there's a team out there that is every bit what they are. Houston just dominated the Mets, and it more than held its own against the Yankees. And the one thing the Yankees have to be concerned about is they did have two dramatic comebacks against the Astros— Otherwise, they could have been swept in that games. But the way they were shut down otherwise and the ability of Houston pitching to shut the Yankee lineup down is something they have to be concerned about going forward. As I've said before, the hardest part of this for the Yankees is going to be to analyze and really in a with a keen eye at uh, And be very, very objective about it and realistic about it. Look at a team and look at team performance and look at individuals. In a season where everything is breaking right and the numbers are extraordinary, still looking at what you are going forward and realizing where your shortcomings are and correcting them, even though you have no motivation in the standings to correct them right now. Chapman is there to keep pressure on what has become a breakout closer. And that closer knows he's going to have to Continue to perform at that level to keep the job because of the fact that there's a guy behind him with a huge resume despite the fact Chapman has been really a guy who has been very vulnerable to the long ball in the postseason. I think the fact that he's not the closer is a positive. Now, can he develop a role that is a big positive for the Yanks? I think he can. The question is, is he going to like that role? We'll have to wait and see. That's another thing they can work on over these next couple of months. As for the Mets, we know so much of it deals with Scherzer, who's about to come back against Cincinnati, and DeGrom, who we hope is moving towards coming back. Adding them is game-changing in every way. But the Mets will still go out and will reinforce this Rotation, reinforce this bullpen, underneath Diaz, and probably still add another bat. I think you take it in that order. Add to the pen, add to the rotation where needed, and then add a player. Sounds like they've cooled on the catcher, but they could still use a bat. But the Mets, as we've stated before, are not going to give up on Escobar. We saw a hormone out of him last night. And as I've mentioned before, he might be the most popular player on the team he is a very big part of their chemistry, which has been a big positive all year. This team has gotten a lot out of a lot of people this year while being carried, obviously, by Alonzo's having an MVP season. And they have gotten a lot of contributions. They are a very uh, tightly knit team with a very good chemistry, give Buck credit for that too. And Escobar is a big part of that. He is extremely popular. So they're going to hope that he can find the swing and find the power in the second half of the season and hopefully in the second half outdo what he did in the first half by a wide margin. But expect the Mets to make changes Even if they get positive about DeGrom, they expect positive from Scherzer. They expect Scherzer to rejoin and just be fine the rest of the way. They're hopeful, hopeful, that they will get some kind of response that gets DeGrom uh, back to the major leagues before August and gives him a chance to get his feet on the ground as we head towards the postseason. And adding the DeGrom to that rotation that already has shows sure is very unique, to say the least. They could improve by leaps and bounds. In a league where they're, you know, awesome, dangerous teams led by the Dodgers, who are not going to be a pushover by for anybody. I mean, the Dodgers can play with anybody, and they have a lot of things they need to write. Their record is still solid, but it hasn't been the first half that they had expected. Or really anybody expected from the Dodgers who, you know, have an ability to dominate with that roster. When we come back, emails. You're listening to the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, emails. We tell you all the time send them to Mike Francesa Podcast at gmail.com. Mike Francesa Podcast at gmail.com. We try to get to some at the uh, end of most podcasts, this is Aaron from out on the West Coast. Many people, including yourself, were critical of Atani and the Ruth stuff right from the start, and rightfully so. Now that he's in his third season, what's your assessment of him, and do you think he can continue at this legendary pace? Um, you know, I got uh, criticized for. Being hard on Atani, the only comment I ever really made about Atani, you know, the last two years I haven't worked at all. The only comment I had made about Atani was I didn't want the Yankees to spend a lot of money getting an, a player they hadn't seen perform here, and I and we hadn't seen him perform yet. That was, the comment I made about him was before he ever entered the major leagues. I, I, you know, he had not even played yet when I when I made it. So I had never even seen him. Uh, I haven't really had much of an opportunity to talk about him. Um, it's very unique what he's trying to do. He clearly has ability as a pitcher. His numbers have been very solid in that regard. His offensive numbers last year, I mean, when, you know, hit 46 home runs, knocking getting 100 runs. I mean, I know he only hit 250. For his career so far, he's got a 265 batting average and an eight eighty OPS. That's sure not Ruthian, but he has a world of talent. Uh, I don't know if it's better to allow him in the future to just be an everyday player and uh, pass on the pitching, as Ruth eventually did. That might be the the best way to get the most out of him as an offensive player. I don't think he would go exclusively to the, uh, you know, become a pitcher. Could he do that and become a, an everyday starter? Absolutely. We all know he could. Um, he obviously is extremely unique in that regard in what he's trying to do. It's, I don't know that it's the best utilization of his talents. Time will tell. But I think it's probably going to continue the way it is. But uh, I would say that while his performance, his power is extraordinary, he has the ability to hit a lot of home runs, but I, I wouldn't say he has, you know, uh, overwhelmed the sport yet. Uh, and you would like to see him and Trout do a lot more uh, winning than they have done, especially with the both of them in the lineup for a full season. Let's see how that that works out. But clearly he is every bit a unique talent and has uh, performed on a high level since he's, uh, hit the major leagues. I for one am far more, you know, conventional in my approach most of the time. So, you know, it's not it's not something that I don't know that I'd want my team to to be in that position to be honest with you, you know, but uh it is what it is. And they have to make the decisions about them and and handle them obviously in in a you know, in, in a unique way from that standpoint, you know, I think, for, you know, from that standpoint, most times you're going to have to handle him. You might need, you know, rest at certain times, he, you know, other things, you know, there might be things that have to happen, you know, that, that have to be dealt with, you know, in terms of uh, how a year goes, how much rest he needs in certain areas. So we'll have to see how it how it all pans out and. Um, I think sometimes dealing with that does put pressure on on a franchise. Uh, The question I would have is also, can they afford to keep He and Trout in the lineup, if you know, from a financial standpoint, and still build a team that you know they can win with? Because the one thing they haven't done for sure with the Angels is win. You know, they have been uh, extremely. Extremely disappointing in that regard uh, for a long time, even uh, well before before ton even showed up. Uh, Jonathan emails, and I just wanted to get through on Arch Manning, decision to sign with the Texas Longhorns. Um, good or bad move? Arch Manning, as you know, is the next generation Manning quarterback, the nephew of Peyton and Eli, and supposedly the next can't-miss quarterback in the uh, Manning chain, um, I don't think it really matters which one of these schools that he could perform on a very high level at any one of them. So whether it would have been Tennessee, Ole Miss, Texas, which it is, or anywhere else you know, along that level of university, I don't think it would have mattered very much. Uh, so uh, I think... He can pave a way in Austin. You know, Austin is a very attractive city. Texas is one of the hottest schools in the country. And uh, there's no reason why he can't become the next great quarterback there. You know, from Archie to Peyton to Eli and now to Arch Manning. Hey, I, I don't think any of us expect him to fail. Uh, Iggy emails, now that Jeter is no longer a partner with the Marlins, can you see him working for the Yankees in some capacity? I really don't. First of all, Jeter's, uh, I think, his own man. Secondly, I think he's uh, very well off financially, so it's going to take something special for him to put his time and effort into it. I think he wants to be an owner. Most of the players of that ilk now, Jeter, Tom Brady, et cetera, et cetera, leading the way that was paved by Michael Jordan – all want to be owners. That's what they want. That's where their major wealth will come from. You know, one thing you learn in life, you are not really wealthy until you don't get a paycheck. Now, that also is a little different sometimes when you are a player that gets outrageous money, like a LeBron James or a Tiger Woods making money on his sport. But for the most part, the real money is in ownership in anything in life. And the players know that. That's probably what Cheetah wants. That's not going to happen with the Yankees. Plus, ever since that negotiation that left Cheetah very upset, he has never, I don't think, had the same relationship with the Yankees. So I would I would be very surprised by that. Paul emails, it's been reported that Amazon, Apple, and Disney have all submitted bids to acquire the Sunday ticket once uh, the deal expires with DirecTV. Uh, which company would you feel uh, would be the best to take the reins uh, also with the Sunday ticket becoming much more available. Do you see many season ticket holders giving up their tickets? I think any one of these companies can do it. I think Amazon is always the leader. They're very aggressive. They're always the leader. Their prime video has been a real form. I think the biggest problem Netflix has is prime video. Prime videos. I find myself watching prime video more than any of the others. I think that they are very aggressive in both their programming and in the movies they deal with, and also the sports they deal with. So I think Amazon is a big issue. The other thing that you mentioned is the biggest fear that owners have and leagues have going forward, and you hit on it without question, Paul, you hit on it. How do you make sure with traffic being an issue with the expense of going to the ballpark and also with the product becoming so good on TV, the idea that you can pick your own camera angles in the future, the the different things you can do now, the ability to have the gambling uh, element in there also on a video level with what's going on with what they give you now in terms of production. Do you make it, really tough for the person to leave their living room and or leave their uh, area in their home where they watch the games. And I think it is something that leagues worry and owners worry about. And the biggest issue I think they have to deal with, and I have heard them uh, say this, is to make sure they enhance going to the ballpark and what they can provide there. That is going to be very important, especially in the next uh, 10 to 20 years. This is uh, Michael emails. I absolutely cannot see how the Mets can depend on DeGrom for anything. Uh, How can anyone think he's suddenly going to start throwing six or seven innings at 100 miles an hour? seems impossible. I think everything you say is fair. I think we have to take, at this point, a wait-and-see approach. A- Can he come back? B, can he come back and pitch anywhere near the same level that he duplicated the past few years? And C, if he does, can he do it on a consistent basis? A, B, and C can only be answered over a period of time. And that's why it's imperative that he comes back sometime in early August because he's going to need that much time. He's going to need X number of starts. He's going to need X number of innings logged to be in shape, to be himself in the postseason. Joseph emails, uh, you have been around a lot of great coaches. What early signs can we look for from Brian Dable to see whether he has the right traits of a good coach? This is, I played golf with, uh, a couple of folks just say, including Justin Tuck, and boy, can he hit the ball. Oh, man. I mean, you know he's big and strong, but boy, can he hit the ball. Um, and we were talking about coaches and Dable and stuff like that. The biggest guessing game in sports is when you take an assistant, especially in the NFL, an invisible assistant, who has only been known to the people in the organization, and especially the head coach, who has been in a subservient role, who has had no decision-making power, or very little. And then you ask him to become a head coach, even if he's been a successful coordinator. It does not ensure that he is going to make that move. Rick has told me, and he was a great coach, When you slide down the bench 18 inches from being an assistant to a head coach, it's the biggest distance you will ever travel in your life. Because now you're in charge of every decision. You're in charge of the entire organization. You are the face of the organization. You are someone who has to solve a hundred different problems on a daily basis. Every problem is your problem. Every player problem is your problem. Every organizational problem is your problem. Everything that happens inside that organization is your problem. And you just don't know what guy is going to flourish. Many great coordinators. I'll give you two who had a resume as good as any coordinator could ever have. And they both were failures as head coaches. First was Bill Sparger. He was almost a co-coach with Don Shula with the great Dolphin teams. He ran the defense himself. He got great recognition for running the defense. Came to the Giants. It was can't miss. He went 7-24. He had the personality of wallpaper. He couldn't motivate anybody. He couldn't deal with the media. He was a disaster as a head coach. He was great as a coordinator. The second is North Turner. North Turner was too nice, too laid back to be a good head coach. You can't be that way as a head coach. You must have a tough side. You must be a disciplinarian. Some guys are not cut out for that. North Turner was a brilliant and decorated offensive coordinator. He was a disaster as a head coach. You don't know. Now, the other part of the question was, what will you see right away? If he's going to be a good one, you usually know right away. You will see a spark in that team, even in training camp, even in the exhibition games, and you'll say, I haven't seen the Giants move like that. I haven't seen the Giants crisp like that. I haven't seen players alert like that. That means he's doing his job. Two jobs in the NFL as a head coach. Give your team a plan that it will work and you can win with if implemented correctly and get them to play hard. That's it. That's it. That's it in a nutshell. But it is a lot. And you never know. If the next guy, and right now, Dable's the next guy, right? He built a beautiful offense in Buffalo. He brought along the quarterback. He can't miss a head coach. Oh, yeah, he can miss in a heartbeat. And just like you don't know which guy, they never know. When you're bringing in a guy who is not a head coach before, You never know if he's going to be good at it because it is a completely different skill set than you have presented as a coordinator or an assistant. And that's why it's a guessing game. But to answer your question, you will see it in the play of the team immediately. If he's going to be good, he will improve the team markedly right away. He will have an immediate impact, I believe, or it won't happen. It will not be, wow, they were bad, and then they look good. Can that happen? Yeah, it happened in Parcells' first year, but you got to remember, that year was just a total nightmare. He had a million injuries. He had a coach die. He had both his parents die. Everything went wrong. And he changed. He admitted it. He tried to be friends with the players. And the second year, he said, I'm going to do it myself do it my way. He gave George Young a written plan of how he was going to do it. And he said, I am going to be honest to myself and be me. And that meant be a tough SLB and be demanding and be on top of the players. And that's what he became. And he became a Hall of Fame coach. Not too many guys get that chance. Now, that guy would have gotten fired now in that first year. They'll fire a guy now after one year if it's a disaster. He could have gotten fired. And as a matter of fact, they did try to go after Howard Schnellenberg. He wasn't available. And it backfired in their face because Parcells found out about it. Never trusted George Young after that. That was part of their problem. But you will see something, a spark, a crispness, an alertness right away. The right players will be in the right spot. The right guys will be on the field. The right guys will be at the right positions. That's all part of being a good head coach. Enjoy the fourth, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan. And you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli Podcast today wherever you get your podcasts.